This is the Adam Gold Show. I'm Adam Gold. Vita the Victoria is back from the many baby showers she attended over the last two days. Yep. Eight, nine, ten? Yeah, many? somewhere around there. About Every, nine. Everybody's having twins. Yep. Boxes gotta, of diapers everywhere. Gotta bring some good juju this Sunday. <laughs> Need it. Although, Arizona Cardinals ain't all that, in my opinion. No. They're just not. But, and the... The Panthers also haven't had too much trouble with the Arizona Cardinals, if I am not mistaken. Yeah. It has been a, uh, a favorable matchup for them. Give you some more detail about that in a little bit. And we will talk about the matchup between the Cardinals and the Panthers at Bank of America Stadium on Sunday, which happens to be a 4 o'clock game, mm-hmm. not a 1 o'clock game. Uh, and I don't know if the NFL did that so all of us here could get a chance to watch Josh Allen and the Bills take on Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. Thank you. We talked about yeah. Thank, thank you, National Football <laughs> League, for that. The we were, we were actually talking about this yesterday, Victoria. That there aren't we have we're in a quarterback void right now in the NFL, and you've, we've got some aging quarterbacks that are still really, really good. If not, well, they're great. Tom Brady's still great. Aaron Rodgers still great. I think the jury's out on whether Russell Wilson is still great. Yeah, it's unfortunate, but I think the jury is is very much out on that. M- Matt Ryan's no longer great. I'm not sure he was ever great, but he was at the very least really good. And it's obviously it's not quite there. We just don't have like so few of the young quarterbacks really have become good. Like quarterbacks get drafted like in big bunches at the top of the draft every year now. I mean this this past year was sort of an outlier where Kenny Pickett was the first quarterback taken at number twenty, but you know the Baker Mayfield year there were four yeah in the top ten right. It went uh, Mayfield one, Darnold three, Josh Allen seven. And was it a Josh Rosen was 10, right? Yeah. Right? Rosen's already basically out. Done. Darnold's pretty much mm. never going to be anything other than a career backup. Mayfield might be headed that way. Yes. My, my point is that the young quarterback's success rate is not panning out very well. Mitch Trubisky, second-round pick, is going to be a career backup. Same boat. We, we don't know what Justin Fields is going to be down the road. Right, he was in that, like, how did the Panthers pass on Justin Fields' class? And honestly, we, I'm not sure Chicago thinks that he's the answer. No. They're, I mean, they haven't kicked him to the curb yet, but I'm not sure they think he's the answer. So the quarterback, especially quarterbacks taken in the top half of the first round over the last five, six years, we just don't know. And the league has a dearth right now of starting quarterbacks. There is no more than seven great starting quarterbacks. And then we have questions about a bunch of guys. So, yeah. so, And we have 32 teams. Right. So there's a lot of teams. Anyway, we got a lot of things to do here. Uh, and we started talking about quarterbacks and, uh, and baby showers. So that's fine. Let's right. go. Especially... When history was made last night, Aaron Judge had not homered in seven games 
Then, in the seventh, with the Yankees and Blue Jays tied at three, this. Drill deep to left field. This could be it. See ya. He's done it. Number 61. He's been chasing history, and now he makes it. He and Roger Maris are tied with 61 home runs, the most anybody has ever hit in a single season in American League history. That's right. It is the uh, tied for the American League record. By the way, here's how it sounded on, that was Michael Kay on the Yes Network, Yankee TV. Here's how it sounded on Yankee Radio with John Sterling. And the payoff. There goes the deep left. It is high. It is far. It is gone. Number 61. He ties Roger Maris for the American League single season record with 61 home runs. It's a two-run judgy and blast. Here comes the judge. A two-run blast. And the Yankees take a 5-3 lead on number 61 for Judge. And the entire Yankee team is out on the field. They are hugging him one by one. Patty Judge is standing behind the Yankee dugout. She got a big smile on her face. And the Yankee team outside the dugout, everyone hugging him. Yeah. And the payoff. It was um, That was uh, John Sterling and Susan Waldman on the Yankees radio network. Uh, look. Judge's mom was there. Roger Maris's son was there. And Roger Maris was the former Yankee record holder of 61. So they're tied. Uh, cool moment. Baseball was given back to Judge. I want to talk about that later. That is, well, it was by a ball player. It went into the Blue Jays' bullpen, so a ball player gave it back to Judge. Uh, and I wonder what, because somebody almost caught it in the stands what is that ball wow. worth? The ball, that ball's not worth as much as the next home run ball. Yes. So it's not like it's not a, like a million dollar ball. Uh, Sixty two might be, but it also depends on your point of view, and we will get to that in a little bit. Um, he went seven straight games without a home run. By the way, the, the home run comes off of Tim Meza for the Blue Jays, lefty. Yankees went on to win the game eight three. Seven straight without a home run for Judge. It's actually not the longest stretch he had gone this year without hitting a home run. That was nine games back in early August. And for Aaron Boone, the Yankees manager, I think he feels like maybe a weight was lifted. I think there was a little weight taken off of him, for sure. I don't think it's something that's, you know, weighed, worn him down or weighed, weighted on him too much. But that said, it's been a handful of days now, and everyone paying close attention so um i think the smile was a little easier when he got back to the bench so yeah i think there was a little relief there look he he was still taking walks i mean t- a lot of teams were pitching around him which frankly I, you you probably should if you're trying to win a game i mean he has carried the yankees offense the yankees offense is coming back uh now maybe not to what it was before but the yankee offense is coming back but um i wouldn't let aaron judge Beat me if I'm trying to win a baseball game. Not not saying you walk him all the time, but you have to be careful because he is their most dangerous hitter, and it's not close. Tuesday, the Yankees clinched the division without Aaron Judge hitting home run, but again, he walked a bunch of times. Now, the raging debate. Well, 
I guess we're a little premature because he hasn't hit 62 yet. So he's not the single-season American League record holder. But who is the home run king, assuming that over the next six games or seven games, Judge hits number 62? Is it Bonds, Barry Bonds, who hit 73 in 2001? Or is it Judge Max Kellerman from Keyshawn J. Will and Max on that? Barry Bonds was the best player in baseball and and one of the two or three greatest left fielders who ever lived. Yes. First ballot Hall of Famer already. to. Yeah. Then he jumped on the stuff and he hit 73 home runs. He walked 200 times. He became the greatest player who ever played any sport. It was like a cartoon. I'm not recognizing it when I know the only reason he did it was the cheating. And McGuire and Sosa, they uh, not, suddenly yeah, become okay. the greatest home run. Stop. So Aaron Judge, on the other hand, comes into the league hit 52 home runs as a rookie. Then in, in seasons where he barely played over 100 games, 27 home runs. Then last year, like Roger Maris, the year before he did, 39. hit 39 and played 148 games, getting back into the rhythm flow of things. Now, at the age of 30, having finally been healthy for the first time in a long time, coming off a... I thought he was going to go for 60. He's in a contract year on top of it all. It, so that's I, different than what the other guys did. I mean, I don't really disagree with what Max said, other than... The record is 73. Other than that, the record is 73. We speculate and we hope. And I think, actually, I heard a, a quote from Roger Maris Jr. And he said that he respects the fact that Judge has done it clean. And I'm not suggesting that that is not true. I am simply saying that, yeah, probably. Because we honestly don't know. And I think history tells us that we will, we have been let down before. So, like, most people didn't think A-Rod was using. No. And then all of a sudden, oh, oh, okay. So, I'm just saying, we hope. And, and there is no indication that it's not. So, I'm not in any way suggesting anything. Like, man, our... our if he's a baseball hero, he's a great one. I mean, he looks like like one of the Avengers. This is six hundred. He's so big, and he seems like a great guy. Yeah, we all want that to be true. So let's uh, let's just leave it at that. Quick NL East pennant update: Braves fell in extra innings last night in Washington, three-two. Atlanta actually tied this game at two in the eighth on a throwing error. But the Nats won it in the 10th. Mets trailed the Marlins 4-0 last of the 7th. Then Eduardo Escobar went to work. Two-run home run in the 7th. Bases loaded, two-run single in the 8th. Then the game-winning base hit in the 10th. Mets rallied to win 5-4. What it means. Mets up by one with six to play. Both off today, starting a three-game set in Atlanta tomorrow night. Fingers crossed Ian might impact this. The Mets had offered, since both teams are off today, to start this series tomorrow, or rather today, and give your give give everybody some flexibility. They've even talked about playing a doubleheader on Sunday. Uh, Braves said no. I'm not suggesting that the Braves should have said anything other than no. I'm just saying that's what has been reported as having happened. Anyway. Magic number for the Mets with the one-game lead is six. 
but just one win by the Mets this weekend in Atlanta will will lower that more than just the two because a magic number, total number of Met wins plus Braves losses, because if the Mets win one of the three games, they will own the tiebreaker with Atlanta, which means that Atlanta must beat the Mets to win the division. If they finish tied, the Mets would get the nod and win the NL East. So uh, the Braves need to sweep New York this weekend, which they are more than capable of doing. Anybody who thinks otherwise is crazy. Here's the pitching matchups. It's Jacob DeGrom and Max Fried on Friday. Uh, Max Scherzer and Kyle Wright on Saturday. Chris Bassett, Charlie Morton on Sunday. Jacob DeGrom, by the way, has been very normal, like human, in his last three starts. I mean, actually bad. 11 earned runs, 15 hits, last 15 innings. Homers allowed in three straight starts. All right, on the injury front, last Wednesday, remember the Panthers put Christian McCaffrey on the injured list and uh, the world lost their collective minds? Yes. All right. As it turned out, he was fine, right? He ran, rushed for over 100 yards. He was clearly the best Panther on the field. Yeah, always. <laughs> well, yes, but it was he was very good. So mm-hmm. I don't think that he was hampered at all by an ankle injury. Uh, we argued that they should have just put vet day and been done with it, but Panthers, whatever. I oh, might, might have tweaked an ankle, so whatever. So And, and McCaffrey said after that, like, man, if I go to the bathroom, they're <laughs> going to put me on the injured list. Yes. Which, yeah. Probably. Accurate. Well, he's on the injured list again. And this one, they actually are a little concerned about. Didn't practice again. He doesn't practice on Wednesdays. Didn't practice yesterday. But they had him on the list with a quad issue. Wow. And this time, though, he stayed in the facility to get treatment. Hopefully, this will not be a problem. This is something that surfaced on Monday. And hopefully he'll practice today. Maybe he has already. I think they have already practiced, but we'll find out. Hopefully he'll be fine if he plays. They need to wrap him in bubble wrap. I keep saying this. Yeah, <laughs> like it's it is what it is at this point. I, and I am not. I still do not believe that we are dealing with um, an injury prone player. No. I really don't. Let's wait and see it play out. Somebody on Twitter is like, oh, he needs to retire already. He said he was kidding. That's fine. Okay. Um, but I'm sure that that has been floated out there. Like, nah, man, football's hard. Yeah. F- football, I don't know how guys aren't hurt all the time. It is a game of attrition in terms of your roster. What is What does your roster look like when we get to November? <laughs> We're not even in October. Well, we will be in October for the next game. Uh, although tonight is the last game in September. Uh, but we're not even in October yet, and we've their injuries all all across the league yeah. are massive. All right, final thing before we talk to Rod Brindamore, because uh, the Hurricanes are in Florida tonight. Uh, Tua Tagovailoa has been like the sensation of the NFL over the first three weeks of the season, if the sensation isn't Jalen Hurts and the Philadelphia Eagles. But that doesn't mean that there is not some debate, and in this case... The obvious, at least it looked obvious to us, head injury he suffered in the win over Buffalo. I think it was late first half, and they walked him to the locker room, uh, and his head hit the ground, and he wobbled and staggered when he got up. All right, well, the Bills, or rather the Dolphins said after that, 
that it was a back issue. Well, he's got back and ankle issues, apparently. And right now is questionable. Adam Schefter from ESPN with the update. Tua is day by day. <laughs> but he's listed as questionable for Thursday night's game against the Bengals. And I think the feeling within the Dolphins locker room is he is expected to play despite his questionable status due not to being in the protocol, but due to back and ankle injuries. Tua questionable for Thursday night, as is Jalen Waddell. Yeah, look. Tua <laughs> Tua's had a really, really good start to the season. So I know everybody wants to fast forward and get to the end game, but we don't know. But he's had a great start to the season, and Dolphins are in Cincinnati tonight. All right, it is time. Hurricanes are in Florida. Time to check in with the head coach, Rod Brindamore. All right, sir. Jack Drury playing with Jordan Martinuk and Andre Kasha. Um, what are your hopes for Jack tonight? And are you going to ask Maurice to stack Alexander Barkov against him? Yeah. Well, well I don't have a lot of, you know, saying that. Um, <laughs> I actually like to see that, to be quite honest with you. I know you do. Um, but we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, you know, I'm just looking to see our young guys. I mean, we talked about this a little bit. There's some competition here. And I want to kind of see how they, you know, fare out against the other team's best player. So I, it would be great if that's how the matchups worked out. And, you know, we got a lot of other guys, too, that I'm still trying to figure out a little bit. And, and then there's some competition on D. And so there's, there's, a, there's kind of a game within the game going on here. So last year we only got a two-game look at Jack, and he played very well in those two games. One 12 of his 15 face-offs as well, which I know uh, impresses the head coach. Uh, but w- what are you looking for him? What is another step for Jack to take to make a mark and make this team? Well, I mean, I guess in a way, if he can continue that, it's easy. <laughs> right. uh, but I just, like I said, two games, um, you know, we need to be able to see that, you know, every night type thing and then maybe not that dominant, but just being able to do it consistently and then can he do it against, like we said, maybe he gets against the better players. Uh, and that's, that's where, you know, obviously, you, you know, eventually you're going to get out there against these guys. So, you have to be able to, to hang with them, and I don't think you'll have a problem with it, to be honest with you, but, um, you know, that's why we got to play these games. All right. Uh, some other familiar faces. Derek Stepan back on a PTO. He's going to center a line with Ryan Dezingle, also a guy who's trying to reestablish himself. And Stefan Nason only scored 48 goals in Chicago last year, uh, and it was with the Hurricanes a little bit uh, during the season. What are your uh, What are your expectations for them? Well, I, I don't know. I, I'd be honest with you. It's you know that's where that competition kind of comes in. We got a lot of bodies for not a lot of spots. So um, you know, I want you know. I, I think Stepper. We, we I know what he brings. So he probably has a leg up on just me understanding what his game is. But some of these other guys, you know, it's a chance for them to kind of establish what, what they want me to think of them as, if you know what I mean. So mm-hmm. we're, we're like I say, it's a preseason game. But there's a lot at stake for a lot of guys. What is the best thing about Derek Stepan? Uh, well, lately, it's probably been just the versatility. You know, I've been able to, you know, move him to a wing, and he was did that all right. I know he can obviously play center a little bit. And, you know, it, it's kind of, I think, just being able to kind of throw him wherever. And I think him accepting kind of where he's at in his game now and, 
in his career and just kind of, okay, whatever I got to do to, you know, help the group. And I think that's sometimes not, not easy for guys to, to do. I mean, he, he's done that well. What did you like most about Dylan Coughlin and Jalen Chatfield as a duo on Tuesday night, and they will be in the lineup again tonight? Well, they were solid, and, and, and you know, we're putting Coughlin on his offside, which that's that's already kind of a, a tougher spot for a guy, um, but he handled that well. Chatfield, we know, we got a pretty good feel for him. I mean, he was here for quite a while last year and then obviously played in the organization, so um, I really like the way he, he moves, right? Like, he's mm-hmm. very, very quick, and uh, we had a couple of instances the other night where he was kind of beat, but he was able to catch the guy, just turn and go catch him. And um, that's kind of a, a, a maybe a little underrated skill that, that he brings. Yeah, I mean, Daryl Green, the old cornerback for uh, for the Washington football team, used to get beat all the time, but he had great recovery speed. Maybe Chatfield will appreciate the analogy there. Uh, Calvin DeHaan, who was, I thought, an unsung hero of the playoff run in 2019, is back also on a PTO. Uh, what are your thoughts on him? And he's playing with Ethan Bear tonight. I want to ask you about him, too. Well, that, that, you know, that could be a potential pair that we go with. Like, we don't know. Um, you know, I think Calvin, you know, obviously I don't I don't need to really see his game too much. I mean, we have a pretty good field for him, although it's been a few years. Looking at him in practice, I don't think much has changed. So kind of know we're getting there. Um, then that's that consistency factor that makes him a pro. So, um, you know, he's not going to put up a lot of numbers, but he's going to, you know, help you defensively. And, and that gets that, that hard-to-play against kind of role that uh, is so valuable in that pairing. So we know we get there. You know, Bear, we know what's there as well. And it's just can he be consistent with it? And um, can those guys, you know, play well together? I mean, chemistry is a big, big deal too that kind of gets overlooked because we have a couple pairs that, you know, obviously have it. And so they mesh well and they cover for each other well, but um, sometimes it doesn't work that way. So that's another reason why we got to play the game. Yeah, Bear, before COVID, looked like he was going to be a pretty good part of your top six. Uh, was there a noticeable drop-off because of that, or was it a different factor? Uh, you know, I don't know. I think that definitely, you talked to him, that definitely put him back. Um, and never kind of was able to regain kind of what he brought at the beginning, like you were saying. And then I think other factors came in. Other guys really stepped up and, yeah. you know, played really well. So then it became hard to get, get back in there. And that's, you know, that's the old adage. You never want to come out of the lineup because you just never know, right, that um, who's taking your place, what ends up happening. So there, there was a little bit of that as well, I think, with uh, in his situation last year. How long for Auntie Ranta tonight? Well, hopefully the whole game, you know. I mean, obviously they got a pretty good lineup going at us. So, I mean, I'm not going to. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't even want to go down that road. I mean, I mean, the plan is that he, he plays the whole game, and uh, you know, we need to get our starting goalies, uh, mm-hmm. you know, France and Freddie, at least a couple games of preseason action to get them ready to go. All right, final question. I referred to Paul Maurice, who's the new coach of the Florida Panthers, uh, and he is not necessarily a proponent of the run and gun, freewheeling style that the Panthers have played in years past. What are your expectations for the way they will play under Paul Maurice? Well, I think it's going to be hard to uh, change that game. I mean, I don't know what you would change too much. I mean, they were the best record in the hockey, right? So, um, you know, he didn't like – I know Yohan says they gave up too much, but um, I think that's that's pretty much an easier 
sell than to try to get teams to score. So, you know, just play a little harder away from the puck. And, um, you know, I think you're going to probably keep most of what they were doing offensively because why wouldn't you? That was, that was pretty impressive. So, um, you know, that remains to be seen. I, I don't know. We'll, 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 we'll get a look at it tonight. And, you know, I'm sure, uh, I guess we play them right away again. So, we'll, 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 the next couple of days, we'll know pretty much how that's all going to shake out. Yeah, through Saturday as well. They will be the opponent on Saturday at PNC Arena, a matinee. I appreciate your time. Good luck tonight. You got it, buddy. Take care. Thanks, Rob. Uh, Ed Smith, former NFL tight end, was actually on the Falcons team that uh, was what? Uh, what, 1998 Falcons team that was in the Super Bowl and uh, helped uh, John. Well, he didn't help. You were there when John Elway won a Super Bowl. Anyway, uh, we, we don't have to bring up. I think Is that a good memory or a bad memory before I continue the introduction? It's a great memory because we were there. It's a bad memory because we lost. All right. I thank you very much for doing this. On Twitter, you can uh, follow him at Ed Smith Speaks. He's with the Believe Network. We talked to Terrence Copper last week, uh, and he's part of a show that's uh, Believe in the Cardinals, and it's B-L-E-A-V, the Believe Network on Twitter. You can find them there. Uh, Quick question about the Cardinals as a team over the last few years is there a theory why they seem to be a different first half from a second half of the season team i have my own theory and i think it falls on Kiff, uh, cliff kingsbury and the fact that he's really good at putting initial stuff together meaning game plans to start uh you know competition but he fails at making the adjustments uh that i think all nfl coaches have to do once you jab and jab and they start you know the other side figures out what you're doing you got to have that second verse same thing goes for the course of a season as teams start to get film on you early in the year they start to make adjustments to try to you know stop what you're doing he kind of keeps that same mode of well it worked earlier let's stay with it and unfortunately you know we've seen the the, over the, the last couple of years especially uh that by the second half of the season it's not as successful because he's not taking that, that note and getting to that next uh, verse. And this year, unfortunately, we've had the slow start. So if you match the slow start mm. with the bad finish, this could be a rough year for the Cardinals. Yeah, you know, it's it's weird. The uh, Rams last week, the Rams have had care of Arizona's number. Uh, and, you know, to be honest, the Panthers, I think, have won six in a row. And each of the last three years, these two teams met. And we'll talk about last year's game in a second. Um but the win this year for Arizona was really a remarkable comeback over the Las Vegas Raiders. I thought that they broke the two-point conversion. I thought broke Vegas. Um, describe that play as you saw it unfold, because for those people who haven't seen it yet, uh, and I mean it was a, it's a week and a half, almost two weeks old now, but it's one of the most incredible things I've ever seen. That is absolutely right. And I actually described uh, the play as something that only Kyler Murray and maybe a couple other human beings on this earth could pull off, you know, to to, to extend a play for 16 plus seconds in the NFL. I mean, that is, you know, it's it's virtually impossible. And he was able to do it. And in reality, it was like a video game play. It was something, you know, my 12-year-old son, I play Madden with him and he toys with me, you know, because I don't play it that much. 
You know, he's got that ability just to extend the play on that dog on video game. And that's almost what it was like. I mean, to watch him, you know, and then, you know, you're, I felt so bad for those offensive or the defensive linemen yeah. chasing him. You could tell they were just, <laughs> they were about ready to keel over. And he hit that, you know, if anybody knows plays video games, he hit that turbo button <laughs> and it just he just went. And it was, man, it was unbelievable to watch. And like you said, it broke the Raiders in terms of, you know, what was to come. And, they, you know, they, they finished that game off in dramatic fashion. But that was an unbelievable play uh, to watch. Yeah, no, like you talk about a video game. I, I'm actually going to bring it to more towards our era, Ed, in that it was more like Pac-Man. In that oh, there you go. <laughs> he was – he. It, it's almost as though he is controlled by a joystick. It is incredible to watch Kyler Murray. What's the next step for him to take – as a player, uh, or is you know the the second half drop off more along the lines of what you, what you kind of talk about with Cliff Kingsbury? My biggest thing for Kyler Murray has absolutely nothing to do with his physical abilities; is his leadership skills. Uh, you know, he's a young man who's faced adversity very few times in his life, always been successful at everything. But at this level of football, it takes more than just that. You know, your athletic ability, especially at the quarterback position. I'm still waiting on him to kind of put this organization on his shoulders. And it's more than just what I do on Sunday afternoons or, you know, Monday evenings. It's about me leading this team by, by example and by my words as well. We know what happened with the off season with right. the scrubbing of social media and then all the contract and this and that. And he still hasn't taken that next step, even though he's gotten the money, he's got the money, he's got all the money in the world but he still hasn't taken that next step in terms of being that leader. And that's what I need from him more than anything to take him to that next level and in turn take this organization to the next level. One of his downfalls might be a Cliff Kingsbury, though, as his leader, as a head coach and CEO. I'm not, I'm not quite sold on mm-hmm. Kingsbury to this point. Yeah, well, look, his second-half problems go all the way back to his tenure at Texas Tech as well. Ed Smith, at Ed Smith Speaks, Believe in Cardinals is the online show, uh, and you can go to BelieveNetwork.com and check it out. Uh, I am curious about that contract, because we obviously talk about it here. The NFL is national. Every team is fair game for every market. Um, My read on this from afar was, Look, if you're going to have some provision like that in a contract, you can't make it public. That has to be a private conversation. Here, we need you to do this. So has that impacted the relationship? Has it impacted Kyler to the point where there, there's, like, eroding trust between the two? That was an embarrassment for them, one, to leak it, and then have to feel like they had to put that in a contract to begin with. Um, as far as residual, if there are any bad feelings from Kyler, we rarely know what he's thinking because he's very introverted. Um, his comments and his press conferences are always coded. So even when they ask you, when you, when you ask him a question, it's almost like you have to decipher it. So this, to this point, nobody really knows how he feels, but you know, for me, it would have been a wake up call for me of my organization came to me and said, hey, we need you to study more, and we're going to put it in the contract. You know, as far as his peers, I know he had to take some flack over that, and it probably stung a little bit in the locker room and might have validated some of the 
things that his teammates were thinking already. I don't know, but it's not a good thing uh, moving forward. Uh, uh, they did a good job of like sweeping it under the rug, almost like it never happened. But you know, it's almost like a bad uh, blood stain on a white shirt. You can still see it. You know, I know you got the the most of it, but you can still see that spot on there. And I think that's what that that clause is going to be moving forward. It's just a bad spot on Kyler Murray. All right, 87 points allowed. We're talking with Ed Smith. Believe in Cardinals is the show on the Believe Network. 87 points allowed. How has their rush defense been, especially in first halves of games? Carolina obviously wants Christian McCaffrey to dictate the way this game is played. So what is Arizona's challenge defensively? Arizona's challenge defensively is everything. Uh, we lost we lost Chandler Jones last year. Didn't replace him uh, on the interior. We're uh, probably one of the worst cornerback rooms in the NFL. Uh, so with that mix, and then we got two young linebackers still trying to figure it out in Collins and Simmons, who seems to have been benched, or at least his production is way down because his snaps are way down. So, you know, we, we don't have the push up front. We don't have the linebackers to stop you once you get to that level. Our secondary with Buda Baker, he's making a lot of tackles. But I always say, if your safety's the star of the team, making a whole bunch of tackles back there, you're in a bad position. And that's exactly where we are right now. So, you know, if we can't stop you from running it, we can't stop you from throwing it. That's a bad recipe. And, uh, you know, other teams are going to have some mighty success against us because of those issues that we have. Well, maybe I don't look. We watch the Panthers every week. The Panthers' offense has been less than spectacular. Christian McCaffrey aside, uh, Ed Smith. Before we let you go, what kind? I know there was. We have the Kyler Murray contract, but Cliff Kingsbury also got an extension. So I am curious, what kind of heat is there under Cliff Kingsbury this year? I keep telling everybody there can't be heat because they gave him that extension. And why did they do that? It was. You know, it was premature. They also gave Kime an extension. And once both of them got those extensions, it was almost like, hey, we, you know, we, we got what we need. Now, you know, security is here. And or Arizona has always been a frugal. I don't use the word cheap. I use the word frugal organization. <laughs> so with that being said, there would be a heck of a buyout, like say if they decide, because he's, he's locked into 2027. So if they were to, to have to buy him out, then, you know, that's a lot of dead money, and you got to go pay a new head coach and GM if you decide to get Kime out of here. It seems like he's got security for all the wrong reasons, and I don't understand it. And, you know, you would have imagined, you know, and maybe they thought the success of making it to the playoffs last year and getting our heads bashed in was enough proof that he's the right guy for the job. Didn't sell me on him, but and it appears that we are – I won't say stuck with Kingsbury, but he is probably comfortable with, you know, keeping his house off the market for at least a little bit of time here, which could be a bad thing for the Cardinals in the end. If uh, if Steve Kime has the power and he just extended Cliff Kingsbury, uh, <laughs> then it would appear that this is uh, a, a union that is going to stay intact. Uh, Ed, before, real, real quick, since, since you played in the league... Who do you think the best team is? Right up until the other day, last week, I thought it was Buffalo. And I would probably still have to say I think Buffalo is. They're the most complete team, minus a running game of Josh Allen. I think they need to get their 
running game more established and not beat him up. But I do think they're the best team in the league, even though they had that loss to the Dolphins. I agree with you. Uh, Ed, I appreciate the time, man. Uh, by the way, also a public speaker. That's probably a motivational speaker. That's what speaks probably means. At Ed Smith Speaks on Twitter. Believe Network. Believe in Cardinals. I thank you very much for the time, man. Hey, appreciate you, man. Look forward to being in touch soon. You got it. Ed Smith from okay. uh, Believe in Cardinals. This is the Adam Gold Show.